This is how the last podcast started. Did you get that? I hope so. You need me to do it again? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's not bad. Thanks. It's really, it's pretty good. It's quality. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Comic book edition. Comic book edition, yes. So welcome to episode 40 can't believe that 40 episodes right that's pretty amazing so episode 40 and in episode 40 we are going to cover paper girls volume one trade paperback this covers paper girls comics number one through comic number five this is a brian k vaughn comic book with artists cliff chang matt wilson and jared fletcher published in december 2016 Episode 1 published on August 2nd, 2016. That's all the boring preamble. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. So spoiler policy for this episode. Chad and I have both are, are reading this together. Yes. Are you excited? Uh, yes, this is very exciting to me because unlike everything else we've ever done... Neither one of us is ahead of the other. So now you get to make crazy ass predictions. So I don't get to lord it over you. No. Shake my head. Laugh internally. Call you a nincompoop. <laughs> you ninny. <laughs> you jackass. <laughs> you think that's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I am in the same boat. Boat jackass. That's right. We're all Good jackasses old around here. SS jackass. <laughs> Ahoy, matey. Ahoy. Well, I'm along for the ride. Yes. Yeah, so this is exciting. So, so we will not be talking about paper, any of the other Paper Girls volumes correct. that are out past volume one. Because we haven't read them yet. Going to make predictions at the end. Yes. And then we'll get to see. Going to be awesome. It's exciting. So what were your general thoughts uh, of Paper Girls? I absolutely loved this book. It's funny because I thought when I first looked at it, I read it as Paper Girls. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, me too. It's Paper Girls. Hmm? And it's about a bunch of... Paper Girls. Paper Girls. Yeah. No, I absolutely loved it. I've loved all of Brian K. Vaughan's books. Um, he's also did Why the Last Man and mm -hmm. Saga. And we both really have enjoyed those. Yep. This was a very different, different story than I expected. Yeah, absolutely. But I really loved it. I related to the characters. It it kept me interested. There's a good bit of mystery there um, that I'm looking forward to seeing resolved. And uh, yeah. Yeah, the characters were interesting. Interesting setting. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Quite a bit. I mean, overall, when I first opened the book, first page, and, and we see the main character, or one of the main characters, Aaron, she's kneeling on the moon, wearing a bathing suit, mm -hmm. holding an apple, sporting the best, fluffiest 80s bangs you ever did see. Oh, they're quality. And I, I was jealous. <laughs> because I will tell you, as a as a preteen in the 80s myself, mm -hmm. 
those bangs were hard to master. Man, and you had to be, you had to have them if you were going to be cool. Oh, yeah. You couldn't walk around with flat hair. You couldn't. And you certainly would not perm your hair to get your, to get it to look like that. Well, most people wouldn't. Most people wouldn't. I found out the hard way. You know, I didn't have any cool friends or an older sister to teach me. Apparently, you were supposed to achieve that look with a curling iron. <laughs> so for the for the uninitiated, for those of you who didn't live through the 80s as a preteen, mm-hmm. I'll tell you how to do the bangs. I cuz because I watched I watched the girls on the school bus do this one day and I found out how. But you would take a curling iron and you would divide your bangs into two layers, okay? Mm-hmm. You'd flip one down, you'd flip one up. Mm-hmm. You'd tease it all. Aquanet the shit out of it. I'm doing hand motions for Chad's benefit. You're just going to have to picture <laughs> oh, me. like I don't know how to do it. <laughs> Come on. I grew up in the 80s. <laughs> well, why I know how to do that. It took me two years to figure it out. Where were you <laughs> when I was perming my bangs? I was banging chicks with bangs. <laughs> you know, you never would have dated me in the 80s. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have the... You didn't have the right tight enough jeans. I didn't. Oh, gosh. You didn't cuff your pants at the bottom the right. You didn't so peg your pants. So many things legs. I did in the 80s to try and be popular. <laughs> so many things. You know, my favorite part of the 80s hair, the 80s girls' hairdo, though, is not just the big puffy bangs, it's the wings. Oh, I never managed the wings. Where girls would take their si- the side mm-hmm. of their hair and curl it out. So now. Not only do you have the big, you know, double row of poofy, poofy bangs up top, but you've got these things that stick out of the side of your head. And every woman walking around in that age was walking around looking like a goddamn poodle. You can't get too close. They stab you. (laughs) Those things were crispy. Oh, yeah. And we somehow thought that was a good look. Oh, I was so jealous of those girls who could get the wings. You know, it's the one it's the one criticism I have about Stranger Things is that for as many things as they get right, especially aesthetically about the 80s, mm-hmm. the 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 girls hairdo is not nearly 80s enough. That was a stupid hairdo. It was. I mean, you guys had had some dumb hairdos too in the eighties. That was the age of the mullet. Oh yeah, but I don't know. There weren't too many guys in my middle school actually rocking mullets. There were a few. There was a lot of feathered hair parted down the middle, though. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you were cool. Yeah, I was. By the way, I was not cool. Neither was I. <laughs> I was a, shocker. People who grew, who grew up having a podcast were not cool in the eighties. When I was in seventh grade, I tried to gain popularity by doing an interpretive dance. Oh, you're gonna tell! You're gonna tell this one. Okay, go ahead. That's it. That's the story. <laughs> I thought I was like, "Hmm, how can I become popular?" How could and it? one of the many failed attempts at becoming popular. Maybe I'll dole them out slowly over these podcasts. <laughs> but one of them was I was going to do an interpretive dance with my friend to Madonna's Like a Prayer. <laughs> and it was a very deeply thought out dance where we were dancing about the struggle between light and darkness. Yeah. And I was light and she was darkness. And we fought over a sheet. 
in the dance yeah. for the school talent show. And I we thought for sure that this was it. We we were going to be <laughs> raining in the popularity checks after this. It didn't work. So unlike uh, John Heater wearing his Vote for Pedro t-shirt. Yeah, it didn't work, okay? <laughs> Preteens, don't let that shit fool you. It doesn't work in real life, okay? In the movies, the inter- the, uh, powerful dance scene. Right? You would dance your way into their hearts. That's, That's right. That's what I thought was going to happen. And you know what's going to happen afterwards, right? The slow clap. Exactly. There was not a slow clap. They were. They did clap. A lo- oh, God, this is... I don't know. I've ever told you this part. <laughs> While we're dancing to this... Like a prayer. And we're dancing our hearts out, and the audience starts just like clapping along with the music, mm. and um, and for like a shining moment, everything was amazing. <laughs> and I was like, "It's happening! It's happening!" They all love me. And then we, I realized, at, unfortunately, the next day that it it wasn't happening. That it was it was mocking, clapping <laughs> those little shits. <laughs> oh. And where are they now? Not hosting a podcast <laughs> about comic books. <laughs> Probably. Their loss, suckers. <laughs> That's my tragic story of not being popular in seventh grade. It's okay. I've used the pain to fuel, you know, my interesting personality. I have this theory that there's in every seventh grade class. There's only actually one kid who's popular. I, you know, I would I would say one male and one female. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And everybody else is just suffering underneath of their wrath and their glare. I I would agree with that. So absolutely. Would you like to talk about this comic book now? <laughs> Sorry, I thought this was therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Dealing with my inner demons here, guys. So what Ooh. we're gonna do to structure this episode which are we structure which definitely needs structure (laughs) is we're going to break it down by comic books so we'll have five sections we'll just go through each of the comic books and what we'll do is we'll talk a little bit about what happens give some of a of a quick plot summary and then just take a little bit of a pause to give our feedback our thoughts on on kind of what's happening so as Liz stated, this opens up with a dream sequence with Aaron sitting on the moon in a bathing suit. She's got her 80s haircut holding an apple. So, apple, very first scene, center page. She's greeted by the astronaut and teacher, Krista McCullough, who tells her that her sister is in hell. All she's got to do to free her is answer one of her social studies test questions correctly. Then her sister can live. She looks the devil square in his stupid eye and says, fuck you. The devil warns her then to never eat from the tree of knowledge after stabbing her sister, of course. So Aaron wakes up at 4.30 in the morning to go deliver the papers. The year is 1988. It is the night slash morning next day after Halloween in the town of Stony Stream, Ohio. And there is a comet shooting across the sky. So she goes out to deliver the papers, and there are some teenage boys, and they begin harassing Aaron while she's delivering her papers. But she's saved by three other paper girls. The redhead spunky one named Mackenzie, she is the original paper girl. She's like the Rosa Park of suburban gender norms. And the other girls are Tiffany and KJ. 
All right, so up to this point, we're really only a couple pages in. Any comments, any thoughts? Um, I mean, a couple. I really like the dream sequence, especially the detail of, so we've got Krista McAuliffe, okay, in wings. They're on the moon. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. They're standing there on the moon, and they're talking, and Krista McAuliffe is saying, welcome to heaven. And when Aaron asks about her sister, Krista McAuliffe says, oh, Missy's in hell. And that frame where she says that, you can see an explosion in her helmet. And I don't know if you yeah. noticed this, but the explosion, I don't know if you remember where you were when the Challenger. Oh, I remember exactly where I was. So do I. Were you in school? No, I stayed home sick that day. Mm. I was watching Leave it to Beaver. I'm pretty sure it was a Tuesday. And I remember the news came on like, you know, and I remember looking at the cloud and watching it split. Yep. And that's what's reflected in her mask, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I remember distinctly what that looked like. Any of us children who, who saw that as children, and I, I was in school at the time, we were watching it as a class, will tell you that you can re- we can remember the exact shape of the cloud when yep. that shuttle blew. It was so shocking. Yeah, yeah. And so that's really struck me right in the first couple of pages here. The, the explosion that's mirrored in the astronaut's helmet is the exact shape of the challenger explosion that's some serious visual storytelling right there it really is so right it just kind of gets you and if you were a kid who watched that you know i mean you just like it's like oh that feeling of that was for many of us the first time that we saw something that yeah that shocking that was a big deal when we were i mean we were school kids that age I mean, we, we were talking about that for weeks leading up to it. Right. You know, Krista McAuliffe was the first teacher in space. Our teachers were all excited. They yeah. really built it up. We're watching it in the classroom. And and to have it explode like that was shocking. So it was a very, to have it in the first page like that was a really powerful, powerful image. Yeah. Um, and I loved then when she wakes up, and there's a little interaction with her and her younger sister, Missy. They're yeah. in bunk beds, and Aaron is on top, and Missy is below. And we can see a, we can see a telescope in the room. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get your picture of the kind of kid that Aaron is. But she hangs her head down, and you know she's just in her dream watched her sister being speared mm-hmm. through the face by this horrible demon. It's a, it's a bloody gruesome image and she Aaron leans her head down and she just goes Missy are you dead and her little sister kind of turns and just gives her the stank face (laughs) and Aaron just smiles so it's a sweet little interaction kind of gives you a picture of the relationship that these two girls have yeah so the artwork in this is is wonderful and without even any words it then kind of shows what Aaron her morning routine is like you know she gets up at 430 she rolls papers um my grandmother used to do that that was one of her first jobs sorry sidebar used to roll (laughs) papers and then she heads out and then her heading out under the shooting star is a a powerful image too Mm -hmm. so those were i mean for me that just hooked me right away yeah it's a great opening and then we i think we're at the part where we're about to talk about mac yeah, this and is the where other girls. yeah the other girls kind of roll up here. So they they talk about Aaron, hey new girl, you know, kind of give her the hey new girl look, and they decide that because it's Halloween and there's always creeps on out on Halloween that they'll ride together. But because it would take 
too long for four of them to do the entire development together. They decide to work in pairs, Mac and Aaron and KJ and Tiffany. When they depart and leave the area, there's some real creepy dude looking dudes behind them who don't look like your typical teenage hoodlum. No, because they have weird boomerang shaped pupils. Yeah. They are definitely do not look human. No. Um one thing I caught in this interaction was Aaron talking about her age. Yeah. I think so. She has a little run in with these teenagers. They ask what school she goes to. They're kind of creeping on her a little bit. She tells them that she's 12. Yeah. And she kind of like rolls her eyes and says teenagers when they're being. Teenagery. Teenagery. Well, a little more creepy than teenagery. Uh, good point. I would hope that when our children are teenagers, they don't act like that. Uh, yeah, I hope not. Well, they're harassing her. And then these other girls come up who are the same age. They're all 12 as well. And uh, it's no secret that I think. Even now we can see one of the themes of this book is going to be being on the cusp of adolescence. Yeah. And so the fact that these girls are 12, not quite 13, I think is going to be significant. I think you're right. So as we move on and Aaron and Mac get to rolling down the street, they get pulled over by a police officer and he calls her Coyle. So we learn her last name, Mac's last name. And we find out that Mac comes from a troubled family and she has a healthy disrespect for authority. <laughs> Uh, the creepers in the weird costumes come back and they knock down Tiffany and KJ on the other side of town and steal Tiff's walkie-talkie. KJ calls Mac for help and they decide to go hunting for the other girls. Actually, I'm sorry. They decide to go hunting for the weird creepy dudes with the boomerang eyeballs. And as they're doing that, Tiff spots an open window in an abandoned house Thinking that the creeps have gone inside, they go ahead and break into the house to look for them. And when they do, they walk into the basement and they find what looks like a very small spaceship or some sort of pod. It's covered in something that's not a sheet, but it isn't skin. That's how it's described. And I thought, ooh. Uh, but it is connected to the pod. KJ thinks it's not a spaceship, but instead some sort of prop from a movie. And then it zaps everyone in the room. Any thoughts to that point? Well, so we've had a couple of new characters introduced. Yeah. Okay, so we have these three other paper girls, and they've banded together for safety. They decided they were going to do this last year on Halloween night. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm assuming because of all the rotten teenagers. Yeah. But so we have Mac, and she's kind of the leader, and we learn that she was the first a girl to take over her brother's route and kind of open the door for these other girls to do the job as well. And we have KJ and Tiffany, Tiffany, who is described as the Amelia Earhart of crap that doesn't matter, (laughs) which I love. So Mac is the only one of them who does not go to private school. Mm -hmm. She is the redhead cigarette smoking badass of the group. Obviously. She's wearing uh, jean shorts over black tights and Doc Martens, which is, again, the coolest. E- for, even for 88, that was pretty cool. Even for 88, thinking. that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. She's a straight up 90s chick. Hell yeah. And it does not have the puffy bangs. No, she's the only one. Well, KJ doesn't have it too bad. Right, but she's uh, definitely the fashion forward. Absolutely. She badass got... punk rocker of the group. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, she's a ginger. There are people unto themselves. Half of them are prostitutes. Well, in fantasy. This is not fantasy. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Well, we don't really know what this is yet. (laughs) So they get zapped. They rush out of the house, but they instantly notice that something has happened to the town. 
the sky looks different. It's a different color. They recognize that the stars are not in the right place. And it's at that point that they recognize the creeps, the uh, weird zombie uh, things, and they decide to chase them down. They manage to catch them, and mask gra- excuse me, Mac grabs one and takes off their mask. It looks like some sort of weird techno zombie. Their skin and their faces are distorted, but they've got looks like wiring and circuitry in their heads. They got the weird triangular pupils. Uh, when they snatch the mask off, one of them strangles Mac pretty hard and throttles her. And then Tiff smacks him with a field hockey stick. And then the uh, techno zombies manage to run off. But one of them drops an iPod, which the girls pick up. And, of course, I have no idea what it is. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So that's the end of Paper Girls number one. So I have a couple thoughts here. Okay. This, as we've already mentioned, reminds me a lot of Stranger Things. They're riding around on their bikes. It's the same basic time frame. You've got these weird monsters that come right out from the beginning. That makes me think, okay, well, when did these come out? So... Stranger Things came out in July of 2016. The first ep- episode of this comic book came out in August of 2016. There's not enough time there for them to have been, one, to have been cheating on the other, so to speak, or, right. or looking at the other. It's just very interesting to me that two months apart, these two stories came out, different stories, but very similar, very similar aesthetic, very similar time period. You know, and both of them have been pretty big hits in their respective genres or their respective mediums. Well, us old people who grew up in the 80s were ripe for some nostalgia. Good point. I mean, these two stories are similar, but you also have shows like The Goldbergs that is quite popular right now, I believe, set in the 80s. Mm-hmm. 80s fashion is coming back, not the winged hair, thankfully. <laughs> we have to think of the ozone layer people. Thank goodness. Not bring it back. The lead singer of Imagine Dragons has a mullet. I mean. <laughs> You're right. It's happening. Oh, God, please don't bring the mullet back. I know, you guys. That is too far. <laughs> too far. <laughs> too far. I like the diversity in the in the group we have uh, yeah. um, Tiff who's African American, KJ who's an Eastern European Jew, and Aaron who is Hispanic. Is she Hispanic or Asian? I'm sorry, Asian is what I meant to say. Forgive me. My favorite scene is when they're down in the basement and they're pulling that weird sheet skin thing off, <laughs> and Tiff says, "Nah, I'm out." <laughs> That's some Texas Chainsaw bullshit right there. Yeah, right. So also I noticed that the comic begins and ends on the image of an apple. First the red apple and the end being the apple on the apple iPod. Right. So that's sort of interesting. I thought it was interesting to watch the girls' confrontation with the techno zombies. Yeah. At the end. First their willingness to chase down some obviously adult-sized hooded masked creeps. Yeah. I mean, and I get that they do make a point of talking about the walkie-talkies, how um, one of the girls had saved up for them. It had taken her a really long time to save up, to buy these. These were expensive CB radios. Yeah, yeah. And But also just the girls need to stand up for themselves. Yeah. You know, and in Mac in particular, you can see when one of the techno zombies kind of backhands, I forget which one it was. Uh, KJ. KJ. Yep. 
backhands are, they're not really trying to fight the girls at this point. They're just trying to get away from them. Mm-hmm. But one of them backhands KJ and Mac at, you can see it goes from fear to anger. Yeah. And you can see a lot in that, that frame, that picture of her face. And at mm-hmm. that point she then attacks this man and he at that point tends attacks to, her back. Attacks yeah. her back. Yeah. No, that's some balls. Like I wouldn't do that shit now. Right? Like you can have it. Four thirty in the morning after Halloween? Yeah. Nope. Anything short Hold of a of another a nope. human being and you can take that shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, but you can see in all of these characters a a desire to stand up for themselves, and you know, gender equality wasn't the same in the eighties as it is now. No, not at all. So I think that's going to be an important theme in this. I think so as well. Yeah. All right. Cool. Ready to move on to number two? Yep. Paper Girls number two begins with the introduction of another weird element: these giant raptors, these dinosaur-like birds one of whom kills one of the techno-zombies by biting his head off. So now we're down from three techno-zombies to two. And it's important to note that after the techno-zombie gets his head bitten off, a gauntleted hand reaches down to retrieve the CB radio. Yes, yes, you're right. in silver gauntlet. Mm -hmm. And the techno-zombie drops a bag, and in that bag we see all kinds of different uh, communication devices. We see a Motorola Razor which I had to think for a second go, no, no, definitely not around in 1988. And an iPad, which I did not, I didn't notice the iPad at first. So that gives you your first kind of hint. I wasn't immediately clear when I first saw the iPod in the last one that it was an iPod. I knew it was a small device with an Apple on it, but it's clearly an iPod now when I see it juxtaposed against the Razor and the iPad. So now I'm like, okay, there's some time travel stuff going on here. Right. Mm -hmm. So then we have Aaron who takes the crew to her house, uh, but her house is empty. There's no dial tone on the phones, and there's nobody in the house. Also, we have somebody who is calling on the walkie-talkie making laughing sounds. We don't know what that is at this point. Mac continues, or excuse me, Mac convinces the girls that they should go to her house instead since her father has a gun. On the way... The girls walk by one of their friends, Wallace, who is standing frozen in the middle of the street. He has on a Halloween mask, and he's carrying a bag of candy, but he's catatonic. Before they they attempt to go grab his mask, but before they can, the sky is filled with these huge raptors. Right, so things are getting pretty weird pretty, pretty quick, quick at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I loved in this little section was uh, the, when the girls go into Aaron's house, it's just a quick scene of them in the the foyer of their house when they realize that her parents aren't there. Mm-hmm. But they're all sitting there taking their shoes off. So it's just, I don't know, it's just a a cute little thing that, you know, here obviously some major shit's going down. Yeah. And it's like, nope, got to take your shoes off if yeah. you come in my house. Yeah, that's right. Mom and dad's rules, no shoes. <laughs> um, and, and also the comment that I think KJ notices that Aaron's mom has been giving out full-size Hershey bars yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on Halloween. Whoa. <laughs> Full-size Hershey's? Like, they just they just fought zombies in under a pink sky, and she's like, full-size candy bars? <laughs> Are you guys rich? Um, also, the communication systems seem to be out. You know, Mac picks up the phone to try and call someone. Mm-hmm. It's just a, just a squealing sound. So something major is obviously going down, and Aaron is speculating that 
the creeps they met might be from a lot farther away than I think it's uh, KJ suggests that they might be Russians. And, yeah. and there's been a couple of <laughs> mentions of the Russians. Oh, yeah. And you know, if you were a kid in the 80s, you were terrified of the Russians. Absolutely were. Yeah. They so, were evil. They had two heads and three arms. Yeah. So uh, after that Chernobyl thing. And that's where KJ suggests. So maybe there were Russians from Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Aaron suggests that they might be from a lot farther away than that. Yep. Um, suggesting that there might be time travel involved. She suggests that the capsule may have been used to slingshot around the sun like in Star Trek 4, which I thought was a neat little neat little reference there. Like, I like this Yeah, that's, a, that's about when Star Trek 4 came out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that, that I liked and or picked up on at this point. So the sky is filled with raptors, and when they turn around, their friend Wallace, who was catatonic, is now gone. They decide to continue to Max House, and interestingly, nobody takes their shoes off in Max House. <laughs> only to find that their stepmother is completely shit-faced. She tells the girls that she and Mac's dad were laying in bed. So they were laying in bed. He was laying right beside her, and then poof, he just disappeared into thin air. She thinks that he's been raptured. So she takes out a gun with an attempt to kill herself, and Mac attempts to take the gun from her. In the process, the gun goes off. Dun-dun-dun. So I thought it was interesting here that... You get to see a little bit of a crack in Mac's armor because right. she's, you know, super tough, smoking cigarettes, different fashion sense than everybody else. And when she walks in and they're like, who's this? She's like, the the lady says, I'm Mac's mom. Mm-hmm. I'm Mackenzie's mom. And she says, stepmom. Right. Like you would if you were a redhead in the 80s. <laughs> right. But then when Mac realizes that she's going to kill herself, she's like, no, mom, I love you. Don't do it. You know? So you get to see that, you know, she does have a soft side to her. She does love her stepmother despite her foibles. Um, And it's just an interesting kind of sweet little interaction. And the gun goes off. And at this point, we don't have any idea what's why or what happened. Right. So I'm glad I read this, you know, wasn't trying to read this piece by piece. Because that would have been a heck of a cliffhanger. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Paper Girls number three. So, this opens up with a shot of the raptors descending from the sky through what looks like a huge portal, like clouds spinning around over a lighted, a shaft of pink light descending down from the sky. And it's witnessed by two other kids, Terry and Gabs. They're both running around in masks. This might be one of my favorite scenes of the whole book. Yeah, it's, because, a, it's good. You know, it, it well, yeah, it begins with a, a person who's obviously in a mask, in a Terminator mask. He pulls it off and it's a it's a wispy, mustached, <laughs> scraggly looking teenage boy. Uh-huh. And he's he's like, Whoa. Am I you know? tripping, and, man? And a and a teenage girl runs up to him and she's like, Terry, what's going on? She's in tight leather pants and cat ears, mm-hmm. you know? And he's like, don't worry, Gabrielle, I'll protect you. And he plants a kiss on her. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I don't even <laughs> like, like you. I don't like you. Get and off he's like, me. But we could finally be together. And she's like, it's <laughs> a freaking portal. And we all know, all of you know, you men would have done the same thing. Not all of us. I'm just saying. Not now, but if you were 15... Depends on who the girl was. The world was ending. 
Girl you've had a crush on since freshman years wearing leather pants? You would have gone there. Me, uh, no. <laughs> yes, no. You would have. <laughs> I would have said she tasted cigarettes. <laughs> so she was with Tanya and Becky. I think this is interesting to note. And, mm-hmm. Ta- and they just disappeared. They just disappeared. Just disappeared. And my question is, who are all these kids running around at 5.30 on a school morning? Like, right? Like, I get that it's the night after Halloween and all that, but like, I was a hoodlum. Like, I was a no rules, single parent, latchkey kid, do whatever the hell I wanted. And I can count on both hands the number of times that I was running around at five o'clock in the morning during high school. Like, it's just strange that there's this many of them running around. But anyway, whatever. At this point, we also see some black dude come down from the sky. He's wearing this really cool set of armor and riding this enormous raptor. He's wearing uh, the white gauntlets that we saw earlier. And he comes down from the sky and he turns Terry and Gabs into what looks like a pile of pink ashes. And he says something into a communication device, mm-hmm. which looks similar to one of the communication devices that was had spilled out of the Techno Zombies bag. Oh, okay. He's got a little round device clipped to his chest armor. And he says something, but he's speaking English, but a weird kind of lingo. Yeah. So he says that he tells someone that he paused two more stragglers and that he's forwarding at Freak 5 the next something. And mm-hmm. here's a bang. So it's just interesting. Yep. So we go back to Max's house and the bang that he hears is the gun that went off. And it turns out that Aaron got shot. This scene, I can't say what show, but it reminds me of one of my, a scene in one of my favorite new shows. So that was a completely useless anecdote. Uh, anyway, the girls attempt to drive Aaron to the hospital. The uh, black dude with the cool goatee who we're going to call Stubbles contacts them on the walkie-talkie and tells them to surrender. Tiff is the one who drives them to the hospital. They know how to get to the hospital, or she knows how to get to the hospital, because her mother... Is a doctor. Is a doctor, not a nurse. Not a nurse. So that's an interesting interaction, because the girls ask, oh, is your mother is your mother a nurse there? And she makes a point of saying, she's a doctor. You know, so the whole idea of female empowerment that happened in the 80s and and women really kind of taking the same kind of jobs as men. Mm-hmm. It's an important theme in this book, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I think that's a, a cool thing that you can do when you set your stories in the 80s, in the 70s, kind of explore those things a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So next we find the techno zombies and they find their dead creeper friend who got picked up by the rapper. Uh, he's missing a head. What does that mean? Uh, do they eat zombie brains like the raptors? Is that what they do? Seems like such a small meal for such an enormous bird. Maybe that was just me. Anyway, so in the <laughs> in the car, Aaron's dreaming of Ronald Reagan. In the background of the dream is very much like a Peanuts cartoon, uh, but there are lasers and missiles filling the sky like the old 80s Star Wars defense system that was big during the uh, end of the Reagan era. Reagan tells Aaron, remember your papers, and hands her a black apple with a bullet hole and blood pouring out of it. There's some more conversations in that dream as well. Yeah, I think there's some important imagery here. We've seen a couple of these 
on on different frames where there's a a bright red object in the middle or standing out in the picture. In the the first couple of frames, Erin dreams that she is ice skating with Ronald Reagan. And there's a Charlie Brown Christmas tree with the red bulb kind of yeah. hanging off of the top. And in the next frame, Reagan is pulling aside his jacket to show the blood stain on his shirt while he's reminding her that not everyone who gets shot dies. Mm-hmm. So the shooting of Reagan was another big thing that happened in the 80s that yep. was very impactful. A lot of kids heard about. Mm-hmm. A lot of people may have seen. And Aaron also talks to Ronald Reagan about the fact that she's lonely and she doesn't have friends. Yeah. And she says, she tells him that she has friends and he says, your little sister doesn't count. (laughs) And um, so that's another bit of character development there. And that happens in the pumpkin patch from Charlie Brown. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely a Charlie Brown vibe going on with this character. (laughs) That's interesting. I wonder if that's supposed to just be kind of a stand in for her being naive or just kind of some symbol for her innocence. I mean, it, it's possible, and I think that they also talk about her sp- um, spacing out in social studies, which oh. obviously could mean the class social studies and or also the fact that she is socially inept and doesn't have friends. Mm. I just wonder. Mm, good. So Stubbles stops the car that's on the way to the hospital. He tells the girls that he can take care of their friend, but it's dangerous for them to be out during ablution. But leading up to that, this is interesting because he's been taunting them over the radio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, Stubbles is the one who has the radio. He's kind of laughing into the radio. He's uh, listening to their conversation and he's he's giving them some kind of threats, but they don't understand because of the lingo that he speaks. Yeah. And then there he is all of a sudden standing in front of their car. Yep. And he looks very perplexed. Uh, when he sees that it's young local girls. Uh, Again, he says, can't be out during ablution. I had to look that word up. What does it mean? It means an act of cleansing. And he looks like he's about to do the same thing to the girls that he did to Terry and Gabs, but that's when one of the techno zombies comes from out of nowhere and shoots him square in the brain pan with a laser pistol. Yes, he does. The zombies then grab the red coin slash chip thing that you were talking about earlier, off of Stubble's corpse. And now suddenly the girls who could not understand them before, they were speaking in symbols, now all of a sudden they can understand them. They tell the girls, hey, you can trust us because we're teenagers, just like you. And then they attempt to smile through their weird little faces. <laughs> so Tiffany accuses the, the guys of being aliens. When they when they come, they shoot stubbles. Mm-hmm. Everyone's yelling. There are guns out. Um, KJ's been brandishing the, uh, the gun that she took from Mac's house. And, and Tiffany says, what is wrong with you alien dicks? And they reply, <laughs> we're not aliens. We're just like you. We're teenagers. Mm-hmm. And of course, one is a handsome teenager. Yeah. I mean, his face is a little messed up. His face is a little messed up, but he's got good hair. Yeah. <laughs> good cheekbones. He has good cheekbones. And the other dude looks like his face melted He's off. He's busted. He is, man, he is messed up. He is a messed up dude. At this point, I don't really know who to trust here because I just saw Stubbles do something called pausing to Terry and Gabs, and it did not look even slightly positive. <laughs> it did not. Right? But I also saw the techno zombie, let's call him Kyle. Uh, I, the guy with the slagged off face, I saw him choke the ever-loving shit out of Mac. 
So, like, I don't really know who to trust here. But these cats obviously don't like each other because Stubbles would take the time to taunt them. So, like, this this is a deep sort of animosity that these guys have against each other. So, And the techno-zombies, I think it's significant, refer to the armored guys as mm-hmm. old-timers. Yeah, these old-timers, yeah. So, again, it's the importance of age. So the other, I think the most powerful image in here to me was the black apple with the bullet hole in it. I mean, that's a pretty striking image. Right. What do you think it means? Well, I mean, considering that they just found an an Apple device in 1988, Mm -hmm. I I think that that's referring to Apple computers and software. And I think that's going to be significant in the story somehow. Yeah, I think it's a way of, in my mind, it's a way of telling us that the Apple guys are the bad guys. It is. And I think it's also going to be a symbol for, you know, in, in the in the first dream sequence, Krista McAuliffe tells Aaron, warns her against eating from the tree of knowledge. Mm, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think that's going to be a theme as well. And technology and progression and how f- how far is too far as far as developing technology. Yeah. And I think I think it's. I think that's going to become a big theme in this as well. You know, I, I have my suspicions on what that that means, and I'll talk about it later. So are we ready to go on to number four? Yep. Okay. So number four opens on a scene of a phone, an Apple phone. It's an actual Apple. It's literally an Apple. With antique phone parts attached to it. And when it rings... There's an eye that opens up in the center. An eyeball. It's an Apple eye phone. Go ahead. Just shake your head. That's what we're all doing. Shaking our heads. Apple eye phone. (laughs) So now this is the third Apple that we've seen, not including the Apple devices. And again, of course, the theme of the red. So the phone is answered by this older gentleman. He's wearing a public enemy T-shirt. So you know he's got to be cool, right? Absolutely. He has a red spot in the middle of his forehead. That as well, yep. And the call is coming from a female version of Stubbles. So I'm not sure what we'll call her. Molly. Molly. We're going to call her Molly. That's right. And she's also speaking that weird lingo that sounds sort of like a Jamaican Creole mix or something. She calls the man grandfather, and Gramps, that's who I'm calling him, tells Molly to calm down, or excuse me, to call down an editrix. He says, we can't risk another sea day. So now we go back to the girls and the techno zombies, and they're now carrying Aaron someplace where they say they're going to go heal her. They're walking through what looks like a very large drainage pipe. Did I ever tell you my story about the drainage pipe? No. When I was about this age, maybe maybe 11, I lived in a neighborhood where they, we had these massive drainage pipes, uh, a couple of them. And when I say massive, they were like six foot tall. And they only they just ran water through them. And no, like nobody had ever walked. Did you just find a sonic screwdriver? Sorry, that was not planned part of the podcast. You just literally pulled a sonic screwdriver out of your ass. Like there's something digging in my butt. And there was a sonic screwdriver down there. I'm sorry, carry on. So anyway, it was um, some of the teenagers claimed to have walked through, but 
we also heard all kinds of stories about people who had walked through and disappeared and, you know, and all kinds of other things. So, so naturally, so naturally, of course, we had to go find out for ourselves. So there was one that was like on like the a back end of the of the development that was like a wooded heavy area. And so we decided to get some to get a flashlight and we were going to walk through. So we had to walk through this tunnel and it's it's got about a foot of water at the bottom of it, which means you had to walk kind of like with your legs bow legged and we're we're going through this tunnel and we get I don't know 200 yards down the tunnel and the tunnel turns and now you can't see behind there's no light behind you. We keep walking ahead, and one of my friends drops the flashlight in the water. Whoa. And we managed, you know, and, and I was in the back, and the two girls it was uh, two girls I was with were ahead of me, and I managed to catch it because the water's moving. So I managed to, to luckily reach down and, and grab the flashlight. And it turns back on for a second, and then it goes out again. Ugh. And now we are in absolute pitch black. And we don't know what's ahead of us. We know what's behind us. And at that point, we make an incredibly stupid decision. And the decision is to go forward instead of backwards. <laughs> it's one of those things that you 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 think about now. You just shake your head like, mm-hmm. what idiots? Like, we could have fallen into anything. Mm. But we didn't, obviously. Obviously. I'm still here to tell the story. So we walk through the rest of this tunnel. It, it curves and turns a couple more times. And eventually we manage to see a little light up ahead. And when we get to the light, it's a grate up above us. But we can't we can't get to it. But it's a we call out to a couple people and there are some kids there. And we realize that it's the playground that was actually right behind my townhouse. And that meant that if we just went a little bit further, we knew where the pipe would end. And we went a little bit further, and sure enough, it ended at this pond that was near my house. And we all got out the other side of it, and you know, we saw daylight, and we kissed ground, and we were jumping up and down and hugging each other. And like, you know, uh, one of the girls was crying. We were just all excited to have been alive. That's an awesome story. It was pretty cool. That's great. For the record, if you're ever in a tunnel and you drop your flashlight, you go back, not forward. Dude, at 11, you would not have gotten me into a drainage pipe with, like, you would have had to tie me up and drag me. (laughs) Pretty much now, I think you would have to tie me up and drag me. (laughs) It's a very cautious child. So anyway... um, Complete aside that we did not need to hear about, but that large drainage pipe. I talked about my interpretive dance, okay? Fair enough. You're good. Very good. (laughs) So, turns out. They're in a drainage pipe. They are in a drainage pipe and they are carrying Aaron. And it turns out that the cute zombie, whose name is Heck, is gay, which Mac does not approve of. Yeah, Mac's made a couple of homophobic statements in the book so far. um, and, And interestingly, it's kind of called up on it by the other girls. Yeah, I remember KJ calls her out for sure. Right. It, it's interesting how you have this character who is, you know, the first female paper girl and, you know, championing that cause. But as was typical of the 80s, people would have sort of a, a level of social enlightenment in a very narrow spectrum and not realize, you know, the way that they were being bigoted in other areas. And heck, 
when Mac does say something to him, or I think he mentions his boyfriend and she says, ew. And uh, he says, don't worry about it. You guys are from an effed up time. Yep. Mm hmm. So again, we have some confirmation that these are time travelers. Absolutely, yep. And then the girls ask, well, when are you from? And they say, well, we're from the year 13. The year 13. 13 post-calamity. Post-calamity. Sorry, I'm just repeating things you're that's saying That's fine. Now for emphasis. So Heck tells them the translator chip might be a tracking device that would allow an editrix to track them. I'm waiting for you to say editrix to track them. Editrix to track them. <laughs> he also says something interesting. As his friend does not have a translator, he's still speaking in symbols. Mm-hmm. But he says something to his friend. They hear a noise, a wailing siren. And his friend says something to Heck. And Heck says, no way. We're dirty. And these chicks somehow escaped the wash too. So we know that what the old timers are doing is something called ablution. And that means cleaning. Somehow the girls escaped the cleaning. And I guess these guys are escaped it as well. So we don't Mm -hmm. know what that means yet, but probably going to be significant. Yep. So uh, the translator chip uh, is allowing an editrix to track them. So they smash it, uh, but not until not, but excuse me, right after that, they stumble upon what I assume is the editrix it looks like a techno beholder it's like this huge globe that has all these uh, stalks coming off of it it shoots heck in the neck and then chokes tiff causing her to have this huge flashback and that flashback was very interesting so during the flashback it the flashback is nothing but tiff sitting down and playing a video game do you remember this game? I remember the game, but I can't remember the name of it, though. Me too. It was not Pong. No. It... It's a game. Okay. Listeners, help us out. I could probably Google it, but I was too lazy. Um, <laughs> where you have a a tiny floating ship. Like with, a paddle like or a something. Paddle yeah. That you can move back and forth across the bottom of the screen. And at the top of the screen, there are bricks. And the, the idea is there's a ball bouncing. Mm-hmm. And you have to catch the ball on your paddle so that it bounces up and, and it hits the bricks and demolishes them. Yeah. I can remember spending so much time playing this yeah, game. Yeah, me too. And not remember what it's called. Yep. Nor can I. Nor can I. But Tiff played that game a lot. And the whole flashback is just her life, or life rather, happening around her while she's playing the video game. She things are happening with her siblings. It's a snow day. It's an outside party. It's a birthday party. But all the while, she's just sitting in front of the video game. And it goes on and on for and on. several pages. Yeah, quite a while. And we see Tiff aging through it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going on in Tiff's head. KJ tackles Tiff and ends up ripping the tentacle off of the beholder, which kind of lets her go. Uh, the slagged face... Uh, zombie who is called Naldo uses a pistol and then he shoots the uh, the editrix. So then he leads the girls out of the tunnel and through the woods and onto their ship, which is the same as the Zap ship in the basement. And at this point, they don't have a translator chip, so he's talking, but nobody can understand what's going on. And Heck with the wounded neck reaches his hand into some sort of weird ass skin orifice on the ship and causes the doors to open. All the while, the girls are like, 
are we going to trust these dudes? And at this point, Heck has had to get rid of the translator that was allowing him to communicate with the girls because they realized that that is how the old timers were tracking them. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the old timers are speaking kind of a jargon to English, but a, it's still English. The teenagers are speaking language that doesn't even use English letters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what what they are exactly. Yep. Um, they look Japanese. I, I, they look like Japanese or Chinese characters. I do not know. They look sort of ba- like bastardized. I don't know enough about them. Yeah. So at this point, the zombies take Aaron, they get on the ship, and they take off, leaving the girls standing there in a, in a field wondering what the hell just happened. And that is the end of number four. Yeah. And they, they realize that at the very last page, they're talking about how they're all alone now, but a giant raptor is hovering over them with Molly on top. Looking down on them. Looking down. Yep. So at this point, I'm thinking, because of the whole Apple thing, that Gramps is the big bad. Oh, for sure. Right. Okay. Yep. But at the same point in time, it seems like the sea day that he's trying to prevent is Calamity Day. So is this a case of a big bad trying to prevent what's actually a bad thing, but just kind of going about it through any means necessary? It's entirely possible. Yeah, I'm taking him to be a uh, Tywin Lannister character. Uh, you know what? That's a good call. That's kind of what I'm going with. Okay. All right, so Paper Girls number five? Paper Girls number five. Okay, Paper Girls number five. Aaron wakes up with the zombies. She's in the ship. Uh, the doors of the ship open up like Darth Vader's ship opens up. And she's in a warehouse. There's an enormous Apple device, like a 12-foot-tall Apple device, standing directly in front of her. It's like the biggest Alexa you've ever seen. <laughs> right? And Heck looks like he's carrying an enormous iPad charger. Right. It's weird. It's like the scale's off somehow, which I don't know what that means. Um, Heck calls the warehouse a when house like some typical millennial bullshit (laughs) like that's that's a mess right there i don't i don't like that so the zombies have brought aaron heel here to heal her and they have these little bugs that look like a cross between a cpu chip and a roach that are gathering around her gunshot wound right so we we see from Aaron's perspective, Heck and his friend, whose name happens to be Naldo, we find out, are, are, are talking to her. And when we turn the page, we see what's going on with Aaron, which is she is strapped down to this ship, the interior of the ship, which is a very odd, like organic looking. Yeah, like fleshy it, material. Fleshy yeah. material. And these bugs are working, are all over her abdomen. And she... um says that she thinks she's going to throw up and they say well not on the insects and the word insects is i-n-s-e-c-s with the n capitalized yeah so again kind of a uh allusion to uh apple yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and we find out that they are what's healing her right now correct yep so they all pile into the when ship because i too can make stupid puns (laughs) <laughs> and it's not even a pun is it no i guess that's just accurate that's what that is yeah. there you go downright accurate 
So they pile into the ship and take off, but the old-timers try to stop them. Aaron gets hit on her head as they get jarred around, and she gets knocked out. This poor girl has gone through the ringer this morning. Yeah, and it's an interesting aspect of time travel that they talk about. Yeah. Because they're time travelers, but they are in a spaceship. And they they explain that because the Earth never stops moving, it's a bad idea to travel through time without also considering location. Because if you jump, just jump straight back one hour, you end up floating in the frozen vacuum where the planet is about to be. That's right. I have never never considered about before me either I, thought that I guess was very that's clever. why the tardis travels in space and time like it would have to it would have to right there you go it's almost as though these people who have spent a lot of time thinking about time travel have thought of these things it's like they have thank goodness someone else did i know i sure didn't so the pod lands back in the basement same basement that we get from comic book number one and then we cut to the other girls uh, or the girls, uh, not Aaron, being confronted by Molly and her raptor, which is what we saw at the end of the last one. So KJ realizes they got to head back to the basement where this all began. She starts kind of putting things together. Tiff stares down Molly and actually manages to disarm her. Mac accidentally causes the uh, magic staff that the girl was carrying, Molly was carrying, to explode which ends up knocking her out. Now, she's got a bad track record with weapons, that girl. <laughs> right? But it ends up, in this case, it ends up being fortunate because it knocks Molly out. So let's go back and talk for a minute about the crash in the, or the landing of the, the spaceship because it really ends up being more of a crash. Because mm. I think we can start to piece together a little bit, or we're supposed to be starting to piece together a little bit, how this is all possible. Mm-hmm. So they're climbing into this, fleshy time spaceship mm-hmm. okay which is just an interesting conceit i, I just think it's kind of cool and they have a copy of the day's newspaper mm. with them and aaron is just trying to figure it all out and and they're getting ready to to do the whatever jump they're going to do and she asks about the paper and he says it's it's tools of the trade long story but we're getting <laughs> you back to where you need to be so somehow the, the paper seems to be significant in what they need to do yeah but the old timers are trying to ground them so they're going to have to break curfew whatever that means and naldo tells heck that messing with the tributary like that is suicide so they they make the jump or whatever anyway and it, it doesn't go well, obviously. No. But they do land in the basement there. So I don't know if breaking curfew, this is one of my predictions, breaking curfew is going to be crossing your own timeline. Ooh, good one. I like that. Okay. Bum, bum, bum. So we see Molly waking up. That's the next thing we see. And she's trying to reach out and talk to Gramps over their chip or whatever they have. And she tells him the girl's got the laser staff and she's going to have no choice but to try them as adults, which we take to mean she's going to kill them. Gramps says, no dice. And we see Gramps casually pouring himself a cup of coffee, calmly walking through this hall. And in what is, to me, I think the most striking scene of the whole uh, trade paperback, he's walking through a hall that's filled with tubes, and in the tubes are all the people in the town. 
We can see Tyler and Gabs. We see the police officer. Mm -hmm. We see a bunch of people who it looks like they were sleeping Mm -hmm. when they got taken. There are people of all ages. We see Mm -hmm. older people. We see infants in the tubes. Mm -hmm. It is very striking. Absolutely. So in the next scene, we have Aaron still knocked out and having some sort of weird dream again. This is when she was young, maybe four or five years old, and she approaches her dad, and they're having a conversation. Her dad pulls his hands away from his face, but his face is melted off. So metal. It's so metal. It's very metal. So obviously this is a dream that was born out of a real memory that Aaron had. Yeah. And a memory of watching her father crying while he is watching the news that John Lennon was shot. Yeah. Because Aaron is is in the dream. She's peeking around the corner. We can you can see a newscaster reporting this and her father has his face in her in his hands. Mm-hmm. So again, this is three really big events that happened in the 80s that if you yeah. were a kid in the 80s probably impacted you. Absolutely. Yeah, the Challenger explosion, the president being shot and and John Lennon being John shot. Lennon being shot which was would have been devastating to our parents at the time. So Yeah, it's interesting to me as well because now I I don't have my dates here but I'm just trying to remember it from my own experiences that I believe John Lennon got shot first, died, obviously. And then Reagan got shot right thereafter. It was like a matter of months later. And so the interesting line that Reagan says, where he says, not everyone who gets shot dies. I can just imagine this conversation happening between Aaron and her dad, where Aaron goes and says, does that mean the president's going to die? You know, and her dad said, well, not everyone who gets shot dies, you know, and so I can just sort of see that happening. Like, and that to me is, is powerful storytelling where good storytelling. Yeah. I get these little glimpses of things and I can fill the pieces in and imagine this history happening. I think that's pretty amazing. Right. So John Lennon was shot in 1980 uh, and Reagan was shot in 1981. So it would have been right after. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, um, yeah, that's a really good observation. And that is part of why I think this, this story has really resonated with me a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So, at this point, she wakes up from her dream and we see the result of what happens when you cross the tributary or cross the streams or whatever. And we find Heck and Naldo who have been melded together. And it also looks like they're kind of melded in with the ship. Yes, it is a very gruesome it's kind of image. Quite gruesome. Um, Heck is, um, m- like his arm is melded into the ship his waist his hand is melded into naldo's head naldo is obviously dead heck they're both bleeding from the nose um heck is barely conscious yeah it's obvious that breaking curfew did not did not go well like that was that was some serious danger yeah and it was a it apparently was nothing but luck that aaron managed to survive so Heck is dying, but he's not dead. And Aaron asks him, why did you risk all this just to help us? And Heck says, you reminded us of us, just some kids. Kids just trying to make a living are always the good guys. And then with that, Heck dies. And the pod opens up for Aaron, and the girls are there waiting for her in the basement. Boom. Boom. But there's somebody else who also knows they're in the basement, and that is Gramps. 
and he has come down to earth. And he is standing outside of the house, and he tells the girls to come out. Aaron gets this faraway look, and she says, the tree of knowledge. And then she pulls out the iPod and says, it's over. And just then, the house explodes. But you can see the pod taking off um, and escaping the explosion. The girls then land in the middle of some road, and it's interesting to me that KJ is not there. Right. Um, also, uh, of note, as they're as they're falling through whatever, so there's an explosion. Yeah. It doesn't. It looks like an explosion, but there's also these silver swirls coming up out of the explosion, and we see Aaron falling. And she falls past these giant letter numbers lit up. It's the year 1999 in like stadium sort of lights. Mm -hmm. And then she falls through what looks like water. Um, So I just think that's an important description. Absolutely. I'm sure that imagery is important. Absolutely. So they land in the middle of the road. It's Aaron, Tiff, and Mac. No KJ. A car pulls up, a very modern looking car. And gets out to check on the girls. And Aaron walks up and says, I'm Aaron Tiang and I don't know what's going on. And the person standing there who stopped the car says, is this some kind of a joke? And we turn and we look at them and it's Aaron Tiang circa 2016. Crazy. Boom. Mind blown. And that's how it ends. That's a badass cliffhanger. So what is your overall impression of this book? I thought it was good. You know, I went into it having um, no real idea what it was about. And so I I went into it with no sort of preconceptions at all, which has been good. And I've enjoyed it so far. I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. It's very different from, it's pretty different from any other comic I've ever read. Me as well, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the, this is the least sort of fantasy-driven comic I've ever read. Yeah. Um, I know. Or, or superhero, or, yeah. Right, and, and I don't read a lot of superhero comics. I tend to prefer comics that are not superhero-ish. It's weird, I like superhero movies. Yeah. I like some of them, but I'm not someone who's read every single Iron Man or, or whatever. I, mm-hmm. I have read some. But this is a, the, one of the more real world comics that I really enjoyed. It has little bits of fantastic elements. But but no, I really enjoyed it. And just the imagery that's used, at least for me, who grew up in the 80s. You know, there's a the second dream scene that Aaron has. And the there's a frame at the bottom where Reagan is... He's bent over and he's, well, she says to him, what does this mean? Are we all dead? And and Reagan says, no, it's like dad said. And then in the frame at the bottom, he says, not everyone who gets shot dies. And he's pulling aside his jacket to show her his shirt. Mm-hmm. It's, if you look at, listeners, you can't see, I'm holding things up to show Chad. But there's a, a, a kind of famous picture of Reagan from the shooting 
where he is being hustled into a car and it is it's like exactly the same sort of position of his face and oh, head really? wow. as in this frame and wow, like wow. Oh. so things like look strangely familiar as you're reading them wow okay so just the time and and care that was put oh, into I that oh i do remember that do you remember that i do yeah wow i would not have yeah i would not have thought of that it causes me a little bit of concern that folks who are not approximately our age are not going to feel as much of that. I don't think it's going to take away from the story. You're just not going to have the same emotional resonance that, you know, you or I might have. Right. It's certainly not the same impact. And that's the same for any of these kind of 80s nostalgia projects that are really cropping up all over the place. I mean, we just did a podcast talking about Ready Player One, the book, which is that is pretty much just an homage to the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Very much so. Very much so. All right. But it's just because our generation is finally in power. And we finally have some disposable cash. Exactly. Well, some, some people do. Making some movies. Yeah. I am so excited about this next part. Do you know why? <laughs> why? Because you get to make predictions. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you get to make predictions now. Oh, boy, this is harder than you make it look. What do I think is going to happen? Well, I already said um, one thing that I think is that the the pod crashed because the the boys ended up, or the boys and Aaron, crossed their own timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good one. I like that. They were obviously trying to get back to maybe a day in the future. I think, and or or not in a time that they had already been, and that caused problems. I mean, that's a very common time travel sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I would hope they would address that. I think that Steve Jobs is maybe the grandpa, or somehow that the the Apple Apple Industries is the bad guy. I think the book is going to, one of the main themes of the book is going to be the advance of technology and is unbridled technological advancement good or bad. I think that we're going to find that Apple and these corporations and, and technology advanced to the point where it caused a the end of the world. And now somehow there's these two forces who are trying to make sure it doesn't happen again in different ways. That's it. All really good predictions. I like it. Oh, and Mac turns out to be gay. Boom. Boom. He's just thinking. Oh, yeah. I'm just sitting here with my brow furrowed, (laughs) looking off into nowhere. Well, what I'm thinking is, one, amazing prediction. Thank you. Amazing. I'm also thinking, wait a minute. Is having the short-haired, red-headed girl end up being gay a little too on the nose? Like, is it a little too tropey? I don't know. I don't care. I like it. It's a good prediction. And it would make sense given her protesta- you know, protestations right. of, of everything gay. So, yeah. I like that. So, you stole some of my predictions. Did I? There, Which Duchess. ones did I steal? Well, particularly the Apple one. So, I sort of envision this where corporations in general and particularly Apple have gotten to the point where they are larger in and of themselves and more powerful than the countries. 
And so you get to a place where Apple is more powerful than, you know, the United Kingdom or right. India or anything like that. And the technology, as you said, does start to cause some sort of calamity type issue. I think that they're going back and they're trying to find old tech to buy it up uh, for two reasons. One, because I think it, and you're the one who gave me this idea, I think it might be a way for them to communicate that's not mm. tapped. Mm -hmm. And two, I think that they are trying to find something, some sort of kind of original technology, some beginner precursor technology where by using time travel, they might be able to unravel what was done. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. The other thing is, I think this might be a Matrix style situation, but instead of like bodies being used as batteries, I think they might be like uploading people's consciousness into like a web or something. Mm. I do not know why. I like it. Maybe they're trying to find, uh, you know, maybe they're trying to find somebody or something as again, another precursor technology or something. I don't know. But so that's where I'm going. I like it. Those are my predictions. Good predictions. Okay. I got one more thing before we're out of here tonight. And we have a letter for Dear Duchess. Oh, I love letters for Dear Duchess. Yes. Okay. So this one says, Dear Duchess, my buddies and I just captured this impregnable fortress, and now I have a problem. I'm being pursued by two women, both nobles. Ugh. <laughs> One is a nobleman's daughter, tall and attractive, with a nose like a hawk. Oh. <laughs> the other is a noble, barely dressed. <laughs> Such a travesty. This noblewoman is just throwing herself at me. I wish my buddy Rand was here. He always knows how to treat women. <laughs> but he is too busy playing with his crystal sword. <laughs> I only helped to capture this fortress because my two other friends, both women were being uppity and got themselves captured. Oh, no. I'd have left them there, but Nene, I've never would have let me hear the end of it. <laughs> anyway, back to my question. I have one woman who throws herself at me, but she's also was just throwing herself at my buddy, and that didn't turn out too well. And the other woman says mean things to me and bosses me around, but she won't stop following me. I, I don't want either of them. I just want to go home and play with my hammer. But Robert <laughs> Jordan says I have to be in a relationship. What do I do? <laughs> So, dear Duchess, what does he do? Well, Perrin, <laughs> all I can tell you is that if you're in a Robert Jordan book, you just need to stay away from all women until they start being written by Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> because honestly, they're just going to be insufferable. <laughs> hang in there till book about 11 or 12. Okay, I, I can't promise your hawk nose lady's going to get any better, but... Well, I think we're in like book three right now, so he's got a long way I'm to go. I'm sorry, Perrin. <laughs> you just are going to have to get comfortable spanking the monkey for a, about eight more novels. Well, don't That's worry. my advice. Stay away. Even though it's eight novels, it's only about three weeks because of the way Robert Jordan writes. Oh, time-wise. That's true. So, I didn't think about that. It would have been about... You know, 10 years of my life, but only three years of Baron's life. He can handle his own hammer for that long. I think so. <laughs> I think so. He can go roll around with the wolves out in the woods. Oh, Those weird far. yellow eyes. <laughs> 
All right, good stuff. Anything else? Nope, that's it. All right, fantastic. So if you have any other questions for Dear Duchess, you can email us at advice at com. You can also find us on our website at thedukeanduchesspodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast and on Facebook at The Duke and Duchess. If you'd like to join our Facebook group where you can start conversations, look for The Duke and Duchess Podcast group on Twitter. Thanks, everyone, and good night. night. Hello, Questers. This is Mandy, the host of Caster Quest, inviting you to enjoy our podcast where we explore the rich and vibrant world of Patrick Rothfuss's best-selling fantasy series, The Kingkiller Chronicle. Soon to be adapted as a major motion picture and television show produced by the award-winning creator of Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Hungry for more content? Perhaps you will enjoy our recaps of HBO's Game of Thrones, Over the Garden Wall, animated Batman films, or our world-famous erotic fanfiction reads. Whatever you're in the mood for, if you love a good story, humor, impromptu parody songs, and thousands of pop culture references, you'll enjoy our show. You can find Caster Quest on SoundCloud, iTunes, and of course, our amazing network, the Earth Station One Network at esopodcast.com.